books. This is a book that came out in uh, the year 2000. The third book in the series is the longest book in the series in my books. In the novels, write the book in the first book. Books in the uh, books. Books. The fifth book is about to come out. Two books. And in the books. He does that in the books, too. Hello everyone, welcome back to uh, A Song of uh, Babies and Puppies, our weekly uh, uh, weekly podcast uh, where we discuss uh, Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, this is a, a special episode uh, where we will uh, discuss a few topics we didn't have time in our first two episodes. Uh, it will be just Emmanuel and me for this episode, uh, Janos is not joining us. Um, and uh yeah so emmanuel what are we gonna talk about today uh this is our patreon content before we have yeah. a patreon <laughs> so um yeah today uh since we've been going so long in chapter discussions i've been trying to um i want to basically uh lay out um the basics of you know the theory that i'm pretty much sold on it includes a lot of stuff it's basically um an overview of like the history of this world and how this monomyth of Azor Ahai and Nissa works and how it fits into everything else. Um, and, uh, that way, once we get this like groundwork laid down, it will be a lot easier for me to point out th how things fit whenever they come up in the chapters. Um, so yeah. Okay. So, uh, Let's before, get we right start, into it. before we start, before we start, uh, yeah. Obviously, a uh, spoiler warning on the whole episode. This will be, uh, yeah. yeah, there will be spoilers for the uh, whole of the series and uh, supplementary material, I guess. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But no, no, no like free core, Yeah, real quick before actual spoilers. If you're like listening to this along with the book club, uh, you probably just read Danny Three, which includes the myth about. Uh, the two moons that used to be there from Karth. Um, so that's pretty core to this whole thing. But yeah, after this, uh, spoilers. <laughs> okay, so take it away. Yeah. All right. So what what we're what I'm proposing is that that was basically an exact uh, account of how it used to be. You know, thousands of years ago. You know, maybe ten or twelve thousand years ago. I guess the long night, it's like, they can't decide whether it's 8,000 or 10,000 years. It doesn't matter. Point is, is way back when, Planetos used to have two moons. A moon of ice, which is the white one that we still have today, and a fire moon, which is either red or black. I tend to think black, um, but either way, whenever uh, it, it turned black. Uh, so what happened is we have the Great Empire of the Dawn, which is this big empire. It, it takes up um, E.T. and, like, Ashai was probably its capital. And in the world book, we get this tale of uh, the Bloodstone Emperor, who commits something called the Blood Betrayal, which is where he usurped his uh, older sister and took the throne from her and killed her. And he cast down the true gods to worship a black stone that fell from the sky. Um, so 
basically, I think this is the same thing as Nissa Nissa killing, or Azor Ahai killing Nissa Nissa with a sword. Um, if we're gonna look at Targaryens as a reference, they would have been, you know, married as well as siblings, and, uh, and that would make, you know, Nissa Nissa was Azor Ahai's wife, the Amethyst Empress, who was the Bloodstone Emperor's sister. Uh, I just think that they're the same person, or, uh, basically the same as far as, like, archetype. Um, so, we have two moons, uh, and what goes on in the sky is the fire moon one day goes into a solar eclipse position and is blocking out the sun, and from out of nowhere, a comet comes in and it smacks into the moon and explodes it. And this is the same... This is what's being described whenever it says the uh, moon drew too close to the sun and drank its fire. Uh, it was, like, scorched by it. Um, and then it explodes into a thousand thousand dragons, which is really just meteors, because whenever meteors are, you know, entering their atmosphere, they're big, flying, fiery balls that make a lot of noise and destroy a lot of things, like dragons. And that's... Uh, and there's precedent in real-world myth for um, describing comets and, and meteors as dragons. So that's not too far-fetched. Okay. Uh, really so quick, uh, yeah. just the, the, the thing with the uh, two moons, is there anything in the, in the source material or, or in the world book that supports this, or is this derived from real-world myths? Um, no, so that's... It's basically the only time we ever get a mention of two moons is from that Carthine legend or something that Dorea tells Danny this chapter in Danny 3. So that's pretty much the only time that a second moon is ever mentioned, but there's lots of um, other like dualities and stuff, like uh, certain doors are, you know, black on one side and white on the other, but anyway, we can. I'll try to establish. Uh, evidence for that later okay um yeah. so uh all right the comet hits the moon it explodes this is the same thing as the solar azora high stabbing nissa nissa with his sword and um you know the uh what i'm proposing is that azora high started the long night by doing this so all the meteors rain down to earth they throw up huge amounts of ash and debris, and this blocks out the sun for years. And that's what the long night is. We need some way to block out the sun for at least a generation, is what uh, Old Nan says. So that's at least, like, ten years. So, like, the, the extinction of the of the dinosaurs, the, the most popular theory, right? Yeah, essentially. Like, this is something that happened worldwide. We have legends about the long night everywhere. Um... It's something more than just the seasons. It's not just a long winter. It's literally like night for years. <laughs> yeah, so we don't have nukes to make a nuclear winter. We don't. Whenever the volcanoes that exploded uh, in Valyria, there was like 14 of them. They're all massive volcanoes and all went off at the same time. That didn't start a long night. So something we need something even bigger. Basically, and that's what we got left is uh, asteroid impacts. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Sounds possible so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. So, 
the other thing about this is that um, I think that Azora High did this uh, to become the first human green seer. So before this time, uh, we had Children of the Forest. Westeros was essentially just Children of the Forest and Giants. And there could have been... This is where it gets a little more tinfoil There could have been another species of, like, giant, which would be about seven to eight feet tall humanoids that may or may not have antlers. And uh, we, we're, I'm going to refer to them as the Green Men. Uh, basically, picture Sernunus. And uh, if they existed, they would have been the, like, original Green Seers. The Children of the Forest were still part of the godhood, but... These were, like, the first guys. They were, like, you know, basically really similar to the children as far as, like, being nature spirits that um, are presiding over the wood and that stuff. But if you think of them... That's based on something, uh, some real-world myths, right? I think that's... Yeah. If it's it's northern or Slavic myths, I'm not sure. But there are, uh, like, uh, horned uh, forest spirits that are, like, not particularly evil or good, but just, like, uh, presiding over over the forests and and protecting them and even protecting the people in them. Exactly. Yeah. I read something about that. Yeah. It's all over over European folklore. Mm. And there's a lot of other, um, like gods and and stuff that fit into the archetype of and this is like um they usually die whenever during you know whenever summer ends and then they're reborn whenever spring starts uh they like represent the changing of the seasons and that kind of thing um and they like represent the bounty of the land so uh yeah but what happened was humans weren't able to become green seers basically and what I'm proposing is that if you think of these green men as the old gods, um, and you think of the heavens, you have the two moons in the sky, and these are like the uh, doors to heaven. Um, and the stars are all the gods that are, you know, floating up in heaven. There's the Milky Way, which is like the bridge between the two moons, and that's where all the the gods reside. Um, if you think about that kind of as a parallel to um, the weirwoods on, on Earth um, as doors to the weirwood net, which is, you know, where this godhood resides. Uh, those are kind of similar. They're parallel structures, basically. But what happened whenever you blow up the moon and you bring it down to Earth that's how humanity can access it. So he put out all the stars. He made the stars fall to earth. He like brought the gods to earth, which is, it says what, um, that's what the Bloodstone Emperor did. He cast down the true gods. And then, uh, that lets him gain entry. He basically, the only, so he brings down one of the doors to heaven. And what I, <laughs> I'd also propose along with that is that the others are the old gods that have been pushed out onto like either another side of the weirwood net, like the icy side, because he brought down the fiery half, or they've been pushed out of it altogether. But I think they can still use the weirwood net, so um, I tend to think that there's some kind of uh, uh, two halves to it. Um, 
So they're basically, uh, uh, I don't know. It's, that's, I think I'll try to go for that later. But anyway, uh, what else? Okay. So, so, so basically yeah. the, the, what was the guy's name who, who tried to become the first green seer? Um, well, I think it was Azora High, but. Or, the original Azora High. So basically he, yeah. he tried to, to hack the weird net and, uh, and release the virus <laughs> from <laughs> of the white walkers on the world. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, uh, I've already mentioned before that the, these, there's a bunch of scenes where women that already kind of represent this and this, uh, turn into like trees they or they become they look exactly like weirwoods they get the bloody mouth or tears um bloody hands and they you know look like a weirwood mm -hmm. uh the thing about uh there's a lot of um stuff that i think nissa nissa was either connected to um the children of the forest or and like this kind of stuff would happen over generations it's really hard to like figure out the exact logistics of it but um, uh, the point is, is that I think like Nissa Nissa was either had, uh, children of the forest magic or like was connected or green men magic or whatever. It's connected to them in some way. And whenever he sacrifices her, that's the same as like, uh, carving the face into the tree. Um, which, uh, is like, I feel like that was something that was started by humans. I don't, uh, the like uh oh god we're gonna need to do some editing i'm, I'm like pausing a lot <laughs> uh because the the old gods are they're described as nameless and faceless all the times but then we look at the trees and they've got faces like what the heck's up with that and they're usually very anguished and like crying or like screaming they don't look happy to be there um and uh so basically the idea is that Azor High like kills Nessa Nessa, which is the like oh and the other thing is that uh whenever he does this in the Azor High myth it says that her cry of anguish and ecstasy left a crack across the face of the moon. And so first of all that's a way to link the two moons Karth story to uh the Lightbringer forging story. Uh because there's two like moon cataclysms happening at the same time and they're both around the time of the long night um so uh i think that the crack that she left on the face of the moon i think that moon was the ice moon and what happened was that when some of those meteor some of the like fragments of the fire moon impacted the ice moon and became lodged in there and um that's something that's like more of a there's plenty of stuff, like, I'll, I'll point out the evidence for that, but basically, the crack that they left in the ice moon is what the others came out of. So, um, and, and it also, like, animated it with that fire. So, it, like, brought fire to the ice moon. It kind of, uh, and it, uh, yeah, it let the others out. So, um, I think that's the, you know, that's the moon that we still have today. But it's okay, got so this. Okay, that, I was gonna ask. Like, so, so Go Westeros has has one moon uh, at the currently the yeah. present present time, and uh, that's supposed to be the the ice moon. Okay. Yeah, and but 
Um, so sorry. So uh, uh, the... spoilers. <laughs> it's huh? gonna blow up too. Yeah, that's it's gonna blow up too. What I was gonna ask. So the way to defeat the White Walkers will be to to blow up the Ice Moon. No, it's no, no. Or to close because the track, or what? What would it be then? I really don't know what okay. it's gonna be. So there's no um, theory in that in that way. Okay. Yeah, because this so. There's a lot of predictive power with this myth as far as um, uh, being able to tell that... Because, um, I mean, it says in the Karth myth that one day the other sun, the other moon will do the same thing. It'll draw too close to the sun, etc. Um, so, we... And we have a lot of, like, reasoning to believe that. So, the thing I just talked about with the meteors from the fire moon embedding into the ice moon... Those are those are dragons, you know, dragons, comets, meteors, swords. These are all uh, analogous symbols. So we have a dragon locked inside a big icy, you know, lake. I'm talking about Lucifer down there in the in the ninth ring of hell, in his own <laughs> yeah, and he's you know, he's prophesied to break out of it. Uh, in a giant, you know, explosion at the end of days. So, uh, that's what's gonna happen. It's gonna be, you know, the, whenever that dragon that's locked in the ice wakes up, uh, and the, uh, you know, because of the other comet that we've seen in the story so far, um, hits it, that's gonna be, you know, the second apocalypse. Um, and that's gonna, that's gonna allow the others it's, you know, if you think about a bunch of meteors raining down on the Earth, think of, like, every, every, <laughs> every landmark in Westeros that's, like, like, think of the Eerie. It's like, okay, we've got this giant castle on a big mountain, uh, there's a waterfall that's, like, you know, has some prophecy about only being able to find rest once it's, it's, uh, uh, tears hit the valley floor. That shit's coming down. A meteor's gonna hit it. We need a way to bring down the wall. How do we bring down a 700 foot, like, giant structure? Uh, I don't think just blowing a horn itself without any other magic involved is gonna do it. So, you know, imagine the show version where, uh, you have the nightman on his little dragon carousel ride. Only, uh, instead of that, it's a meteor hitting the wall. Okay. Or a bunch of meteors. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to be, like, laser-targeted or whatever, but they're they're going to even, like, even if they land close, the earthquakes and stuff that they start would be enough. And the horn that is said to, uh, could bring down the wall, you think this this is a red herring in this all, or...? No, I think it plays a part. So, the, yeah, the, the horn is, like, the... The sound it makes is like Nissa Nissa's cry that cracks the moon. Like her cry is the explode the like, the noise the explosion makes of the like the moon makes whenever it explodes. It's like you know it's childbirth, uh, you know screams. It's like uh, you know it's the same. So whenever the thing about the Azor High thing is that a lot of people have figured out that. It, Lightbringer can represent a child. It can just be a, you know, the child of Nissan because his sword can also be his sword, quote unquote. Mm, yeah. Um. So in the in the like astronomical model, all of these things happen at the same time. 
He, she's stabbed with a sword, penis. She gives birth at the same time and dies at the same. She dies in, t- in childbirth, and she all of these dragons are what she gives birth to. Um, and so all of those represent Nissa Nissa and Azor High Reborn. They're like, they're uh, you know a meteor. It takes on the same stuff as the comet, the same symbology, but it's also a part of the moon. So it's like this ice and fire, or not ice and fire, it's this sun and moon unified thing now. It has natures of, from both. So we can look at both of the, all of those meteors um, as Azor Ahai reborn figures, or Nissa Nissa reborn figures in some cases. Um and, you know, they're basically figures that are going to bring about giant change on the Earth. They're, you know, we got any number of characters to pick from. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I'll try to hammer out the details of that as we go through the chapters. Okay. Uh, so, in the... Well, I can actually bring up a few because we've talked about, you know, 15 or 20 chapters so far. So, whenever... I mentioned whenever Bran... Uh, in his dream, he's basically like the Lightbringer comet floating over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever he climbs up the uh, the tower up to the Eclipse formation, which is Jamie and Cersei, he's representing the Lightbringer comet. And, you know, Lightbringer, it's another name for Venus. So this is like Venus climbing up the sky in the morning, um, you know, before the sun rises. Uh he climbs up there, and then Jamie pushes him out the window, and at that moment, he becomes a moon meteor, and he falls and he breaks. And, but that, but now he has, um, he's kind of awoken to his green seer abilities. Um, what's another one? Oh, the, uh, the wolf, the dire wolf that they find with the staghorn in its uh, neck? And it's given birth and it's dead already. That's another one. The the direwolves, the dragons, those are all meteor symbols. Um, because the thing about the sun also dies in this thing. So the sun kills the moon, but then the moon from the grave or its children, you can look at it that way too, kill the sun by blocking out its face. So the stag also died because it's like thing was ripped out <clears throat> of its head but uh you know the dire wolves are like these avenging figures these like guardians of the moon that go back and avenge and this is what sandor is going to be too like after killing micah eventually all he does is try to protect and the star girls it's like the same thing but he is like this rabid dog who is vicious and etc um but they, they can serve either end. You can kind of look at, you can arrange the symbols however you want and look at, you can look at Gregor Clegane as, um, also a moon meteor who's gonna, but he's serving the dark sun Tywin instead of the moon. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and there's also, um, in the, on Danny's problematic wedding night, uh, whenever she and, Drogo right off to the stream. Uh, they he starts undoing his ha- hair. So if you look at the star, the bells as stars because they represent dead people he's killed. Um, 
and Dothraki believe that you go up and become a star, or, like ride a star, which is a flaming horse whenever you die. <clears throat> she, They take all the stars out of his hair, which is like night black hair. It's basically the river of darkness that is the night sky. They take the stars out of the sky, they put them on the ground, and then once that's done, the sky, his river, like his night black hair, it's oily, flows like a river of darkness uh, down, and it's really long hair, whatever. But it's, you know, that's the same thing. It's an eclipse formation with a river of blackness flowing from it, and all the stars have fallen to the earth. All the gods and ancestors. Yeah. So, um and so the yeah, you, the, you said you're going to lay down the uh, the framework, uh, the mythical framework for the for the series. So, uh is this just a matter of uh these symbolisms and these themes uh just reoccurring over and over again in, in different ways mm -hmm. or do yeah. you think it's it's uh the the whole arc of the series is either fulfilling this uh, this whole prophecy or preventing it it's not going to be preventing it it's going to be reckoning with it so it does this this cycle if you the basic thing is sun figure two moons sun kills one moon and then that moon kills the sun again um that's like this the basic you know plot line that keeps happening over and over uh in in the world like we can look at there's so many different figures where there, there's this trio and usually the fire moon person dies first and then the sun and then the ice one and then the ice moon this is like i basically think of this as like the first sin of the world that the bloods like the original sin that the bloodstone emperor caused and it's caused this you know trauma There's like, you know, magical and like generational trauma where the cycle keeps continuing. And it's going to happen, you know, a couple more times before the story's out. But once the ice moon falls, it's a whole new ball game. Like we have to reckon with. So like whatever they did to stop the long night before, it didn't fix everything. The seasons are still fucked up. Um You know, it didn't reckon with the actual sin. It was kind of just kicking the can down the road. So whatever they do after that, I can't really predict it. The If you imagine, like, if the seasons were good before, whenever there were still two moons in the sky, there was some kind of balance by having two moons. Will there be balance after there's no moons? I don't know. Will, will like, Bran do the Sage of Six Paths Naruto thing and create some more moons? <laughs> I don't know. Seems a little unlikely. Um, but, yeah, I really don't know, like, what's gonna happen. Uh, I think that uh, the Weirwood Net should probably have to be closed off from humans. I think that Bran will probably be the last human green seer as well as the last king. Um, because, you know, he can't have kids, etc. Um, so, like, whatever they do in that transitionary period will hopefully be something that reckons with, uh, like, sins of the past and creates a better society that doesn't involve so much uh, women killing and, and, and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, yeah, let me just make sure I covered everything.
Okay. Uh, one, a couple more things. So the um, the weirwoods are basically like ground zero for the meteor impacts. There is um, you can also think of meteors as a lightning bolt. Uh, so if you think of a tree getting struck by lightning and set on fire, this is like the weirwoods were already there, but they Azura High set them on fire with the lightning bolt so that he could like activate them for humans. Um, and then they've been like frozen. They're like a tree that's on fire, but it's the fire is frozen because it doesn't consume them. They're like, you know, they're kind of like the burning bush from uh, the Bible. Um, I think, I don't know. Other stuff will probably come up as we go through the chapters, but any any thoughts? Okay. Um, or do you want to no. just go to your segment? <laughs> well, what... Uh... What I find interesting is what we've got so far is that the whole weird net seems uh, limited to Westeros, right? To the yeah. So Westeros. there's so yeah. Th- does this have any meaning, or is, is Westeros special in any way, or is it just that the the, the Green Man and, and the, the Children of the Forest just originated there and built um, the network there? I think so. There's like little pockets of. Um, other places, this is mostly from the world book, there's um, this forest that's north of the Dothraki Sea that has uh, people called the Ephekevron that um, sound really, really similar to Children of the Forest. There's um, uh, on, on uh, what's the island called? There's like a place with um, these really tall people with golden eyes that uh, worship these like underground deities called the old ones uh which i think are the green men so there's like little pockets and like hints of that children of the forest and these and green men and other and giants used to be all across the world and that westeros was kind of just the last place that they uh survived um i don't know if there were weirwoods everywhere too it seems like there aren't any in west in uh, essos but um yeah, I'm not sure. It's there's some like stuff about. So uh, if you look at the city of Ashai, it's all, um, it's all built out of that oily black stone. But if that's uh, like even the hovels and like the like, you know, the like, it's not. It's the biggest city in the world. It's, it could fit like four of Westeros' cities inside it. And uh, it's all built of the same stone. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but if you think of a meteor hitting it and uh, Lovecraft-style poisoning all of the other rock around it, um, then it makes a lot more sense. Like, it just landed and it turned everything else into that stuff. But the Weirwoods, um, I'll talk about that later too, they, they have um, mushroom symbology, which is like they're countering... They could be like countering whatever poison and and like rot. They're basically so if you think of them as uh, mushrooms growing off of the corpse of the moon and like eating the poison because Lightbringer poisoned the moon. Um, think of like Oberyn's spear. Uh, uh, it like poisoned it and burned it black. Um, and yeah, the mushrooms or the weirwoods could be like eating that corruption, like in Nausicaa or something. 
So that's why Westeros hasn't turned all into oily blackstone. Maybe. Do we take this for uh, like for for granted that uh, Ashar really looks like it's it's described because uh, with a lot of the of the stuff that George writes about is is it's all from the Westerosi perspective and like things get more and more mystical and weird the farther away we get from Westeros so maybe it's it's uh, exaggerated a bit what's going oh, on could, like, beyond the shadow yeah. It could for sure be exaggerated, but there's a lot of times where he uses those exaggerations to um, <clears throat> to load symbology onto a given subject. So uh, Tyrion doesn't have all of the like teeth in the in the the tail and that kind of stuff, and he's not actually a giant. But people call him a giant, and they have these stories about when he was a baby. All that stuff can be. You can use that all to call him the, you know, the twisted monkey demon and stuff. That still works as symbology that, um, you can, you can try to play with. So even if Ashai isn't all oily blackstone, the like story is still kind of enough. Uh, yeah, like I definitely yield on the like historiography kind of, um, telephone game going across this whole world, uh, that like not everything can be, is accurate information but um the stuff that he puts down on paper george uh george does it, it he puts it down for a reason is what i'll say i guess i mean there must be something to it rumors like that don't don't yeah stop from absolutely nothing right and, um, and shy is about, uh, everyone talks about the shy is this really really mystical place so yeah and it's it's a pretty visited port like it's not mm. super um busy but there's plenty of people that go there because they have no food there and they have lots of gold and gems that are just in the city from when it was a you know a big empire or the heart of an empire and but they have no food so the food is okay. they trade they trade you a cart of gold for a cabbage or something i don't know <laughs> like asha mentions that one trip to a shy and they'd be like rich as kings or something like that once if you make it there and back again right yeah. The easiest task, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. so. Yeah. <laughs> to see how how much of this uh, will come up in the in the future chapters. Yeah, I'll definitely talk about it this up. week. Yeah. Alrighty. Okay. So. Uh, what have you I'll got for us? Into, into some more uh, like down to earth stuff. <laughs> um. I have prepared uh, two things. One is, uh, and we we got a lot of of uh, traveling in the first few chapters. So uh, I was uh, doing some some research and some comparisons on like, okay, how how, how big is Westeros or uh, yeah, mainly Westeros at this point. Like if you go into into Essos and uh, whole of Planetos, it becomes total speculation. So I, I think there's no no use in that. Uh, and even with Westeros, uh, there seem to be only two, uh, two points of like, uh, uh reference, com- reference that, that come from, uh, from Georgia, from the text itself. The one, uh, I guess, uh, most of us know. And I think it was referenced in, uh, the last, in the John chapter in we, we discussed last. I think it was the yeah. John chapter, uh, that, uh, the wall Whatever. is, uh, 100 leagues that uh, translates to 300 miles wide. So, lots of people, 
Um, that should be. Uh, never mind. One, <laughs> no, it's it's like one point five times as much, so four hundred fifty kilometers mm. around. Yeah, I think a mile is like one point five or one point. But I was doing everyone in everything in miles. I, I didn't uh, care to. Oh no, that's cool. I figured you would. <laughs> but <laughs> to translate it to kilometers, although I usually, uh, uh, of course, uh, talking kilometers or calculating kilometers, but it was easier to just go per miles here. Um, so a lot of people try to to kind of extrapolate from from the three hundred miles wide ball to the size of of other things. Although uh, George came out and said, uh, "No, the, the maps uh, are all not to scale." So. And he, he deliberately says that uh, he won't make any any uh, any exact references because uh, uh, very smart fans might uh, look at it and so uh, and say, oh, then this uh, travel time is totally unrealistic and stuff. So he gives gives himself some some leeway there, which is uh, a very good idea, I think. To to yeah, George out. is like, well, these maps were drawn by uh, you know. Pre pre calculated yeah. people that lived in vampire times, so yeah, we can't exactly. really. Uh... Anyway, <laughs> and and even if they were like uh, remotely accurate, uh, we don't know how large planetos itself is so with the curvature. Uh, the farther away we get from the from the wall, uh, the less useful the three hundred mile reference would be. So oh wait, uh, so they're using uh, what's the type of projection? Um, the Mercator. Uh, anyway. Even if, if we assume yeah. it is a Mercator, I mean any projection of of uh, yeah uh, of a curvature onto a flat surface at some point no. it gets gets Planetus is a, and, Planetus uh, is flat. I'm a flat tarot, <laughs> sir. <laughs> no. <laughs> that, that, that's one thing where uh, where I'm uh, gonna go out and say, unless stated otherwise, uh, assume uh, it's it's a round planet. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good rule in fantasy to go. Uh, well, unless stated otherwise, it's like the real world, and everything that <laughs> differs from it should. Okay. It's a donut. So uh, that's it. Uh, a lot of people still don't take that advice and uh, go out and uh, draw maps of with uh, with uh, uh, scaled to this uh, 300 mile reference, uh, yeah. Another another reference that uh, George itself gave is that uh, Westeros is about the size size of South America. Useful uh, reference to to get a feel for it. Um, if we go by that, uh, uh, the north alone would uh, be the the area of uh, about the Amazon rainforest in uh, in reference to. Uh, South America. If anyone has a uh, has a grasp on that, or so it's uh, getting smaller every year. <laughs> it's getting larger actually with uh, with winter coming, right? Oh god! Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it. so the 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 north is said to be uh, a third up to a half of of Westeros, right? So again, uh, sources uh, sources differ on that. Uh, and then, yeah, I was uh, just, uh, what I did was just go on, on uh, Google Earth and just uh, try to find a few distances in the real world that maybe uh, give give a reference to uh, to that size. Uh, again, for our US listener, listeners, the north would be uh, about the size of the mainland US uh, west of the Mississippi River. 
I think of that area and Winterfell mm. would be around uh, the location of Denver, about in the in the middle of that area. So uh, if that gives you any idea of uh, how large it would really be, so like going going from Winterfell to the Wall would be like uh, going from uh, from Denver to uh, the Canadian border. Wow! Or in comparisons to uh, comparisons in Europe. Uh, Winterfell to the Wall is about the entire uh, north-south route uh, through either Germany or Great Britain. So that was the distance that uh, that John and uh, Tyrion traveled in in between chapters. Damn. <laughs> yeah. That's like so, a 15-hour car ride. So like, uh, yeah, you don't really get the get the feeling of of those distances when when reading the books. I think. And how much, how much time really should pass. I mean, they say that, uh, I think the, the King's party was, uh, on the road for, to Winterfell. Um, at least a month, I forget. At least a month, yeah. Which seems to line up, uh, uh, with, with these distances. If you say you can, uh, make maybe 50 miles, uh, a day on, on horseback and in carriages and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Then also, Again, now we're getting into even more speculation with uh, the, I mean, the, the 300 miles uh, wall distance uh, put on or taken as a scale from, from the wall to Winterfell, I think is, we can say it's pretty accurate uh, because there shouldn't be that much much distortion so close to, to this. So it would be around 600 miles from Winterfell to the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, if you would try to scale it up uh, on, on the whole of Westeros, uh, Westeros would be about three, uh, 3,000 miles north to south or wall to, uh, the southern coast of, uh, um, of Dorne. Right. Uh, which is larger than, uh, the northernmost tip of, uh, of, uh, continental Europe to the southernmost. So like, uh, uh, north of, of Norway, excluding like, uh, the, the few islands they have in the, in the polar circle, but like mainland, uh, mainland Norway, northernmost part, uh, to let's say Italy, southernmost part, uh, is even less than, uh, how much, uh, Westeros would spend north to south. Okay. Pretty, uh, yeah, pretty large. And, uh, compared to Essos, uh, Westeros is tiny. Yeah. How, do, how does, um, Westeros compared to South America? Uh, if you're trying to use that scale. Westeros to south, I mean, if the north is further, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it would be, I mean, uh, he said it's, it's the, it's the area of South America. And I mean, South uh, America okay, kind okay. of have to, has this very narrow tip at the, at the bottom. So you mm. can't really take the, the north south, uh, uh, route. Uh, I think if you, if you take north, uh, Northern America, North America, uh, Westeros would be like, uh, the, the U.S. Canada border to the southern border of Mexico mm. around, around that size. Big. Yeah. Yeah. Big. Yeah. And there's so weirwood roots running through the whole thing. Yeah. Like a somehow. big. <laughs> so, uh, that was the, the geography lesson. I hope it was, uh, remotely interesting and not too dry. Uh, now I want to get into a little bit of, uh, of house lore, uh, specifically house Royce. 
I thought about that because, I mean, Waymo Royce is the first character we ever meet, so I thought, okay, let's just take a, a closer look at, uh, at House Royce. And it's um, quite interesting uh, history they have because it uh, includes a lot of, uh, like, first man endo uh, interaction and assimilation. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the Royces uh, are descended from the first men, although they are in the Vale, but I mean, all of Western. Yeah, they were like one of the, yeah, they were like one of the groups of the first men that, um, I guess either survived by, uh, by making peace with the Andals or joining yeah. them or something like that. What yeah. happened? I mean, they, uh, they resisted at first. They were, uh, they were the, the ruling house of the Vale even, uh, before. They were basically defeated and, yeah, subdued by the errands, you could say. Um, do you know the, the house words, perchance? Uh, of the Royces? Uh, it's, it's, no. It, it is, uh, a pretty boring phrase. It's certainly nothing to, to, uh, nothing that stands out, but it, it could be the, the official words of Pico Chat too. Uh, the house words are, we remember. Ah. So yeah, not mm. not that exciting, I'd say. I mean, uh, the North doesn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> but they do. I don't know if they yeah. do. I'll get into that. Um, I mean, their uh, their emblem certainly does because it's a uh, it's a bronze shield with uh, with uh, iron or black uh, dots, and uh, it has runes around the edges and. Uh, Runes were used by uh, by the first man, not as a writing system of the language, but uh, seems more like uh, like um, for mystical writing and stuff like that. And uh, mm-hmm. they also have a few pieces of uh, ancient bronze armor that is uh, embroidered with uh, or engraved um, with runes, and uh, they attribute some uh, some magic to it that the wearer of these uh, of this armor might be invincible or or harder to defeat or to wound mm-hmm. i mean it certainly didn't help waymar but i don't think he he took he some of the, yeah he wasn't exactly if he had what the heck dude yeah <laughs> he wasn't allowed to to take it with him i guess i mean it might have helped him against the others because mm-hmm. there uh there's some tinfoil metallurgy stuff about uh, mm. bronze uh, being better to fight the others because yeah. it gets harder the uh, colder it gets. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, um, like, uh, spoilers for, like, uh, three books in the future, I guess uh, the fans were said to be, like, the most civilized and most advanced of the of the Wildland clans are also using bronze armor and bronze weapons. Yeah, they can make brand stuff. Yeah. Um, so maybe there's something to it. Yeah, it's it's cool too. The the wildlings um, north of the wall, there, you know, they kind of function as like a time capsule for first men culture. But the same thing uh, is true with the wild men of the Vale, the like mountain clans. Mm, yeah, I was so, gonna get into that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, yeah. do you want to lay out real quick the like? Mm-hmm. I don't think we mentioned why the Andals are, were there in the first place. Sorry? Why they are there? Or? Well, yeah, why the Andals. So the Andals, that's where they first landed on Westeros. It was whenever the they, oh, Okay. Yeah, whenever they were invading. Oh. So that's like, yeah. Yeah, they they came from like northern Essos, right? Mm-hmm. Said. 
Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's where so they landed, and that's like that's where they landed and kind of kicked off, uh, kicked off the area. Yeah. And uh, as I said, there are uh, there are few different levels of how how much the the first one is simulated into into endo culture. Uh, like some of them were totally swept up in it, like the the majority of of the realm basically. And then as farther uh, farther north you go, uh, uh, more and more of the of the first man uh, culture has survived. Mainly the uh, the old gods who are mm-hmm. worshipped or, or practiced basically through the whole north, uh, and uh, presumably by a few uh, few houses in in the Vale or in the in the southern parts. Um, I'm not sure about House Royce specifically, like. Uh, I didn't find any reference what what they practice, uh, but they have uh, they have a septon uh, in their household, uh, mm. and in uh, the later books, um, Roba Royce, like one of the the, the uh, second son, I think, of of mm. Bronzion, uh joins Randy's Rainbow Guard, which is like uh, Faith of the Seven coded. So. This seemed to have at least uh, uh, partially taken over the the faith of the seven too. I mean, there is there was no sept in Winterfell, for example, and no uh, before before Catelyn arrived. Uh, so yeah, rather unusual, I guess, for for a house that uh, still worships the old gods to also have a, a sept and a septon at the household. So yeah, and they're they're surrounded by Andal culture, you know. Yeah. Might, yeah, might be that, but it's more for like six thousand years. Guests. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the the faith of the seven doesn't have any clergy. Ah, uh, the sorry, the old gods. Uh, there is no clergy, so uh, you just do it right yeah. and and uh, pray in front of a tree if you want. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's little to, to to you need to worship the the old gods other than some nature. Yeah, uh, yeah, and. Uh, uh, as I said, the, the the different levels of assimilation. I mean, there's also the the mountain clans in the Vale. That's basically those uh, uh, descended from the first men who did not submit to to the Andal rule and are technically still in rebellion, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So they were driven uh, up into the like shitty places to live. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's there's uh, there are similar clans in the north, but they seem to get along at least. Uh, well, seem to be okay at least with uh, being ruled by the Starks. Yeah, there's there's reference. Well, they've been, they're you know, also, they're all first men. Yeah, exactly, and and I guess holding to the to the old gods is mm-hmm. is an important part. I mean, religion is always like a, a very big part. If if uh, yeah, you get along with a uh, with a different culture or not, right? That's always a big uh, yeah a big source of conflict. So uh, I guess that helps a lot. Uh, there is the the special case of Skagos, which is uh, like only technically part of the Seven Kingdoms and and ruled by the North. And I mean, practically they are independent because no one really knows what's going on there and what's uh, no one wants to know. Maybe and there's only rumors. The curious so case of Skagos. The curious case of Skagos. Yeah, I think. Like, um, uh, I don't what, know. Do we? Well, hmm? sorry. Uh, do we get any? Info on whether the mountain clan, the mountain veil men, uh, do they worship the old gods? Because I don't know if uh, we get any confirmation of that. I would just this. Yeah, it's never really mentioned, as far as I remember, in uh, 
what they what they believe, but they do have like the kind of democratic communal live yeah. living style that the wildlings mm. north of the wall have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a very it's not a very formalized religion, so I guess every clan maybe has its own rituals or its own interpretations or built some uh, some mythicism on top of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, some of them cut off body parts yeah exactly (laughs) you can make uh, make makeup rituals as you want if you don't have have much to go on Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah so and of course there are the wildlings who are like officially independent and are uh yeah proud proud descendants of the first men mostly you mean in north of the wall north of the wall yeah yeah i think this they are yeah they all descended from the first one. I don't think there's like any any. They're pretty much yeah. They're pretty much unchanged. Groups. It seems maybe, like maybe some I don't know Ebenese exiles or something <laughs> that mixed in at some point or uh, well maybe maybe, maybe some groups that that settled in uh, in Hartum like this few hundred years ago when it was a was a proper city at one point. But yeah, I would assume that uh, that the wildlings are like ninety nine percent. Descended of the first man and yeah, practice the old gods and everything. Mm-hmm. All right, that was uh, geography and history corner. Don't know if you uh, do you have anything to add. Maybe the voices oh. or first man and or culture war. Yeah, <laughs> jeez. Um, I mean, obviously the the, the uh, most successful at uh, uh, yeah at, at overcoming this were the noble houses of the north who like. Uh, Got to keep the old gods and are fully integrated in, uh, in uh, okay, yeah, into the kingdom. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So they, they got to, I mean, that's mostly thankful, thanks to the, uh, to the neck <clears throat> because they yeah. were able to resist the invasion, but then, and then argue, you know, or like negotiate from a place of power. Yeah, but there's other places that. too, like, yeah, in the reach, there's, um, there were houses that still have a lot of first men blood because um whenever Andals were coming in they basically like uh they also assimilated but from like oh like we married our daughters to them and like made them our own instead of yeah. trying to fight them. Yeah, I guess so. Well like gave them yeah. some land and some and some wives and they yeah. became our friends that way. Yeah, I guess you the the father you go into like less uh uh, less heavily populated areas, uh, maybe more of the of the first man cultures, or maybe mm. areas that like the Andals were not interested. I think that's also a big part why the North wasn't like totally subdued because so much there you would you would well they just couldn't get in there. Yeah, they couldn't get in there, and I don't think they have much resources or anything that would be super interesting for for a Southern force to say okay like. A, I put all my, all my strength into into conquering that as long as they keep peaceful. That's enough for me. Right? <laughs> that's basically what the uh, what the Targaryens did. I mean, yeah, the stalking kneeled and they were content with that. Yeah. Okay. Alrighty. Uh, I've been going for uh, like uh, about exactly an hour. Nice. That's that's long enough for a, a mini episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our normal so, ones are too. No one wants it too, yeah. Okay, so uh thanks for everyone who listened to us two rambling for an hour. 
<laughs> yeah. about Westerosi history and mythicism and geography. Uh, yeah, the fake history and the fake fake history. The fake, the fake history and the even faker history. Yes. So, uh, yeah, if you have uh, any questions or want to contact us, we are on Twitter at uh, ASO. BAP cast or asobapcast uh, at gmail.com. Uh, if you want a guest on the show, maybe we have uh, guests lined up for our next regular episodes. I'm very excited about that. Uh, so, or uh, as always, just uh, join the uh, Post Game of Thrones Discord. Uh, I am uh, Gigantic Larry in there. Uh, you are Cheese. Cheese, exactly. Yeah. And, all right. Uh, all right. Have a good uh, one, everybody. That, that that's podcast uh, uh, books. Good night, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>